By now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you could invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy easy to use and only takes a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust fees are low. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Visit itrustcapital.com to start investing today. That's itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. All right. I'm going to share this morning about breakthrough. We're in a series on prayer and we're talking about obviously prayer is more than just re- making requests, making known our needs. That's part of it. We will address this in a future message. But the most significant and important part of prayer is the fact that it's about communing with God. And I want you to know this morning that God wants to give you a breakthrough. God wants you to have a breakthrough. You know what? We, we talk about barriers in the spirit realm. We talk about how the enemy seems to hinder us. We talk about, you know, hey, I feel stuck. Right? I just feel like I'm at an impasse. And all of these things really are accurate realities of where many people are at spiritually. But God is the Lord of breakthrough. In fact, one of his names in the Old Testament is Baal Perizim, which means the Lord or the master of breakthrough. He wants to give us breakthrough. There's some things I want to share with us today relative to breakthrough. And honestly, one of the things that has to happen, first of all, is there has to be a paradigm shift. There has to be a change in our thinking and enlightenment that takes place based on not being conformed to the world's patterns of thinking, but having our mind renewed according to what the scripture actually teaches. And one of the things that I I want us to look at this morning as we address breakthrough prayer is the fact that Many of us are asking God to bless us. We're asking God to answer our prayers, to give us breakthrough. And, you know, Lord, bless me. Oh, God, would you bless me? You know, how many remember that um, teaching that was out years ago on the prayer of Jabez, right? The prayer of Jabez. Well, there's one problem with the prayer of Jabez. It's old covenant. In the new covenant, things have changed. What is different about the prayer of Jabez and, and the new and the way we're to pray in the new covenant. Well, let's start off by just saying we've already received the inheritance. God's already given us the farm, so to speak. We have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now look at this, guys. It says on in this verse that God has already blessed us. He has blessed us. That's past tense. It's already been done. And how much blessing has he given to us? Every spiritual blessing or all spiritual blessing. So he's given to us 
everything. He's already made it available. Jesus said, it is finished. It's yours for the taking. Hallelujah. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. His divine power has given to us how much? All things pertaining to life and godliness. So he has already given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. How do we access it? Well, the reality is God has chosen to hide these spiritual treasures. These riches are hidden. What does that mean? Well, it means that everything that God makes available to us, in a sense, is buried in the ground and we have to dig it up. God has made available to us all things, but he's buried it and he says, go after it, seek it, dig it up. It's yours for the taking, but it's not just going to be delivered to you by Uber. <laughs> All right. It's not like Uber Eats, right? I mean, it's, it's, guys, you got to go. You got to do something here. God is going to reveal and has made it available to us, but we have to dig it up. So Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, speaking of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hidden is a very interesting word. In the original Greek language, it means this. Hidden to be discovered. Hidden to be discovered. So God is saying, I've hidden this for you. I'm not hiding it from you. It's available, but it is hidden. You can't just sit back passively and expect that you're going to receive all of these spiritual blessings. You have to dig it up. There's so much that God wants us to experience. There's so much that he wants to reveal to us. He has great plans for our lives, immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. But the reality is we will only experience it as we seek after him. That's a fact. We know Jeremiah 29. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Verses 11 through 14. Israel or Judah is in captivity. God said because of their sin, because of their rebellion, he would send his people into captivity. So there's a remnant in captivity. But he told them how long they would be there in exile in this foreign land. And it's after 70 years, you'll be restored. After 70 years, I will fulfill my promise and I'll bring you back to your land. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Wow, that's amazing, right? How many of us say, yeah, that's great, fantastic. God wants to bless me. God has plans for me. He doesn't want to harm me. He's a good God. He wants to prosper me. He wants to give me a hope and a future. Right. But guess what? That doesn't mean anything in terms of it being fulfilled in your life. It's not going to just happen because God said, here's my promise. Because for every promise, there's a process. And we have to engage in the process. And the process continues. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Last week, we talked about the fact that God has summoned us to love him with all our heart, 
all our soul and all our strengths. This message, we see that God has also invited us and called us to seek him with all of our heart. During our prayer time this week on Wednesday night, we were talking about the the scripture in Psalm 86. I believe it's verse 11 where David says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. God, that I might fear your name. We need an undivided heart. We have to have our whole heart, a single heart for God if we're going to experience everything that he has for us. God is amazing. He's, he's merciful. He's, he's so good. But recognize this. There's a vast difference between the kindness of God and the covenant of God. Yeah. You see, the kindness of God in Romans 2.4 is this. The kindness of God leads to repentance. Right? But the covenant of God is for those who fear his name. The difference between the kindness of God and the covenant of God is Jesus says his father is kind. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He blesses people even though they don't acknowledge him. He even blesses those who are atheists and blasphemers. He still blesses them, causes the sun to shine upon them. But guess what happens? That's just the benevolence or the kindness of God. The blessing of God is reserved for those who fear him. And the reality is many Christians have operated and lived in a place where they've experienced the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God, his kindness, but they've not stepped into the place of knowing all of the benefits of covenant. This is a deep teaching. This is a deep teaching because just because God answered your prayer doesn't mean to say that God is saying, all good. There's more. I'm calling you. I'm bringing you to a deeper place. And my kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So spiritual treasures are hidden. They're hidden in Christ. So God says, I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I want to give you hope and a future. Seek me. How are we supposed to seek you, Lord? You seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. With everything that is within you. And then the Lord says, I will be found by you and I will bring you back from captivity. One of the ways that word that phrase can be translated when he talks about, I will, I will bring you back from the place where you've carried captivity, is actually it means I will restore your fortunes. I will restore your fortunes. I'll bring you back from captivity, not to bring you, listen to this, this is so good, not to place you in a place of dryness, of barrenness, a place of lack, of scarcity, but I'll bring you back from your captivity so I can restore your fortunes. That's what it's saying in the original language. So God's saying, this is what I want to do. I'm merciful. I'm good. I want to bless you. I want to restore you. But seek me with all of your heart. All of these blessings are waiting to be discovered. All of the riches of his glory are available to you. Healing is available to you. A renewed mind is available to you. Prosperity is available to you. Peace, joy is available to you. Righteousness, power is available to you. But you got to seek it. It's it's buried. It's hidden treasure. God says you got to go after it. 
Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. It is the glory of God, it is the kabod of God to conceal a matter. The word conceal in Hebrew means to bury. The word matter actually, interestingly, is the Hebrew word for word. God is saying, it is my glory, it is my kabod, it's revealed when I bury a promise, when I conceal a promise. And so your glory is seen as you dig up the promise. Mm. We can stop right there and give an altar call. Okay. <laughs> How are we seeking after the promises of God? How are we seeking after the things that God has said in his word? Hey, I know they're there. I'm claiming it. How are you claiming it? Right? If you claim something in the natural, what do you do? You go there. You say, this is mine. You dig a, a hole. You put it, you drive, right? A, a stake into the ground. And you and put up a flag. You say, I'm claiming this. This belongs to me. This belongs to Australia, right? This belongs to whatever country that you're representing. And we've talked about that in the sense that God has said that it's time for his people to take back what the enemy has stolen, to say the kingdom of heaven has come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and to claim it. It's ours. But it's not just going to happen because we say, oh, yes, the Bible says I'm blessed and highly favored, right? I mean, come on. Right? I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm highly favored, right? I mean, we, we say all these things, but then we go home during the week. And the reality is, man, we're struggling, many of us. We're discouraged. We're defeated in certain areas of our life. Because just because we say it, just because we claim it in the, in the sense of verbally giving assent to it, doesn't mean that it's really happening in our lives. You see, God is not a God, the God of casual inquirers. He's the God of deep seekers. When you seek me or search with all your heart. Last week we saw that God says, don't bring me your leftovers. Don't give me, you know, what is the, the, the surplus or the excess. Give me the first fruits. I want your very best. I'm a holy God. And I'm the one who's given you everything. And I have the right that you give it to me, first of all, as a first fruits offering. And that's a type and a shadow, of course, in the Old Testament. But these spiritual blessings are hidden. Proverbs 2, 4, and 5. And if you seek as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you seek as for silver and search as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We're talking about finding the knowledge of God, right? We've already quoted Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But the rest of the verse says this, through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. The word knowledge means intimate experiential knowledge. 
It isn't academic knowledge. It isn't saying, yeah, I can tell you, you know, all the divine attributes of God. You can say that. You can theologically deconstruct certain things and construct certain things and not even know God. The Pharisees did not know him. They knew and had memorized the the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They had memorized it. Yet they didn't even know him is what Jesus said. Wow. So spiritual treasures are hidden. We have to dig it up. But now where are they hidden? This is really important. They're hidden in Christ. Why, why is this important? Because first question is, well, why does God hide his treasures? Well, we've already said that. He wants us to dig to deeper depths. But what is it that he's saying? He's hidden them in Christ. See, the Bible is clear that God has given us everything we need. And honestly, he even gives us the desires of our heart. That's amazing. But the truth is, it's not the gifts that we're to seek after. It's not the blessing that we're to inquire for. It's the giver. It's the blesser. It's him. It's Christ. They are hidden or buried in Christ himself. So if we want to find, if we want to experience all that God has made available to us, we have to seek after the Lord. Why? Because... You know what? We talk about, how many know the the five love languages, right? The five love languages talk about, one of the the love languages is gift giving, right? I mean, look, I don't know if that's my love language or not, but I certainly like gifts. (laughs) All right? If that's your love language, hey, man, I'll I'll help you fill up your love tank. Give me some gifts, okay? Uh, But the truth is, I'm just kidding. But the truth is, God says in his word that this call that he has for us, not just to experience or to release gifts into our life, but to bring us into a relationship. How many know that it's not giving of gifts that really satisfies that? It's It's a relationship with someone whom you love, whom you know personally, That when they give a gift, it comes from the fact that you know them and you know their heart and you know their motive behind the gift. Because there are people that try to bribe me, right? We're trying to get some things done right now in in the Philippines. And last night I just said, man, this is taking so long. Just go bribe somebody. And and, uh, Pastor Ruby said to me, Pastor Glenn, are you serious? And I said, well, I guess I was, but I probably need to repent. Ah, and, and she said, no, we can't do that. I said, no, no, prayer is more powerful than bribing, isn't it? But you know what happens? There's a point where at times it, it's just like that. We just, or people give gifts for the purpose of what? Bribing, having their way. There's a selfish purpose behind that. I mean, you know, and... When you, mar- when you get involved in a relationship with someone, how many times have, have you seen this where, you know, people get honeymoon religion, you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, they're Christian. Oh, all of a sudden, because they like you, they're going to go to church. They're going to love God. But the moment that ring goes on your finger, or they know that they've got you, guess what happens? No more church, no more God. The gifts stop. Coming in, things just change. And what does that say? It says that the person really 
was not interested in you to begin with. It was an unhealthy, toxic relationship. Now they've got what they wanted, and then often in those relationships it becomes abusive, it becomes controlling, it becomes manipulative. God's not like that. God doesn't invite us into a relationship where he says, hey, I'm just going to give you this, I'm going to give you that. He said, I'm not... I'm not call, I'm not going to do that. He said, it's not like the, you know, the dad who works and works and works. He doesn't have any time for his kids. So he just showers them with things, with gifts, with material items. And he tries to use that as a way to fill the void in the lives of his children. Or he tried to make them feel, oh, I, I really don't have time for you, but here's what I can do for you. I can give you this. But deep down within, those kids are looking for a relationship with their father. They know that the relationship with the father is a greater gift than what he can give them. There is no substitute for relationship. And God has made available to us all of his blessings, but it's only appropriated in the context of relationship. He knows that the best investment is time. The best gift he can give us is time. Time tells the truth about our priorities. You see, God's priority is you. And he wants your priority to be him. So when you come before God, you realize that he's saying, I don't want you just to come to me and say, hey, Santa God, can you give me this? Give me that. Give me this. But Lord... I want to know you. I want to seek after you. I was reading this morning in the book of James, chapter 4, and it talks about how, you know, people are frustrated because they're not receiving things from God. And the first thing the Lord says through the apostle James is, well, how about trying asking? You worry, you pray, you, you, you complain that you were not receiving it. You have not because you ask not. So why don't you ask? ask. And then he says, well, then there's another category of people. They ask, but they're still not receiving. Why is that? Because they ask with the wrong motive. They ask that they may spend it on their own desires. God bless me so I can do what I want to do. God bless me so I can live the way I want to live rather than God bless me so I can glorify your name, be an example to others and extend your kingdom on the earth and use what you've given to me as influence for righteousness. But it's solely about bless me so I can be blessed rather than bless me so I can be a blessing to others. It's a motive. God knows our hearts. He knows what we're after. Are we really wanting the blessing so that others will be blessed and others will be glorified? God, give me the anointing and the power so I can heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, so that people will follow me and give me money. All right, come on. Rather than so I can serve others, I can be a blessing to others, I can heal people, I can set the captive free. God knows our hearts. So what do we do? God says, I'm going to give you all of these things, but you're not going to get the palace without a relationship with the king. You're not going to get the palace without a relationship with the king. When we know the king... 
and we glorify the king, then his kingdom provision will be fulfilled in our lives. So it's hidden in Christ. This is what he says. It's hidden in Christ. So all of us go through these seasons in our times in a relationship where it seems like, well, where's God? Why is it that he seems distant? How come my prayers are not being answered? What's going on? Well, the question we have to ask is, well, does God actually ever forsake his people? Does he withdraw from his people? Well, the answer might surprise you. Yes and no. The answer is yes and no. All right? Now, again, let's, let's not be shallow here, guys. Let's really search through the word and have a proper understanding of what it teaches. On the one hand, we've got Hebrews 13 verse 5. Where Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Very interesting. In the Greek language, there is a double negative that is used two times and a single negative that is used once. What is a double negative? Well, in English, a double negative is not a good thing. Here's a double negative in English. I ain't got no money. That's a double negative. But in the Greek language, the double negative is the most powerful way to negate something. In this verse, the double negative is employed twice. The single negative is used once. Essentially, this is what the Lord is saying. I will never leave you. Positively not. It will never happen. It's unthinkable. There's not even the slightest possibility that it will ever happen. Wow. I will never leave you. No, never. No, not at all. Not even think, don't even think about it. It's not going to happen. I'll never leave you. What? That's what he's saying. Wow, amazing. That's an amazing thing. But yet, then we read in the book of James chapter 4 verse 8 where God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So if he's never left us, then why is it that he needs to draw near to us? Hmm. Right. All right. So let's 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 come on now. Let's go a little bit deeper with this. So if God's never left me, then why is it that I need to draw near to him so that he'll draw near to me? Because the reality is God is a God who says your pursuit of me indicates or 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 will result in how near I am in your life. Even though I'll never leave you, I'm always there. You still have to pursue me. You know, we say kind of, kind of, it's kind of cliche, but it, it is true. It's like if God does not seem as close to you as he once was, then who moved? Who moved? If he hasn't moved in a sense, then what's happening here? What's going on in my life? Well, the truth is, that God is a God who provokes us to seek after him. And one of the ways he does it is by actually allowing us to go through seasons where it seems that he's not close to us. Isaiah 45, 15 says this, Truly, you are a God that hides yourself. God hides himself. When you read the context of that verse, you understand that what God was saying to them was, you've been through so much, you've turned away from me, you've hardened your heart, and you want my blessings, but the only way you're going to experience it 
is if you pursue me. I'm there, but you got to find me. I'm there, but you got to search for me. You know, I may not be on your radar screen right now, but trust me, I'm there. Because I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But you need to go deeper. You need to increase your pursuit of me. And you need to seek after me with all of your heart. So God says, begin to seek after me. This is an amazing story. I was thinking about it this week. In the book of Ezekiel, think about this. Look, guys, you can live your life as a shallow Christian if you want to. You can. That's your choice. Or you can experience breakthrough and inherit all the promises that he has for you. It's your choice. It's my choice. And so you can say, I'm not listening. I don't want to hear this. Tell me. I'll tell you something. You'll never experience breakthrough. You'll never change. What I'm sharing with you is revelation that will change your life. And it's not for the casual inquirer. It's not for the person that just wants the quick fix, the panacea, the bless me. It's for those who are serious about God. It's for those who are hungry and intentional about seeking God. So what does he say? I hide myself. Why am I hiding? Think about this. In Ezekiel, God is warning Israel, Judah. He said, you worship idols. You've turned your back on me. You're doing evil. You're committing all this sin. I'm going to destroy you if you don't repent. That's what God says. Full on. Pretty strong. Guess what he does? He said, I will judge you. You will be taken captive into Babylon. It will happen. Make, mark, you know, mark my words. Make no mistake about it. It's going to happen if you don't repent. That's what God's saying. The day arrives for God to deliver on his promise. Guys, the day is here. Okay? I've sent my prophets to you. I've warned you. I pleaded with you out of love, out of brokenness. I've said, come back to me. Forsake your evil ways. Forsake your idolatry. Seek me with all of your heart, and I will restore you, and I will bless you, and I'll bring you back. Same words that Jeremiah was preaching. They were both contemporaries. And guess what ends up happening? Is God on that moment when he says enough is enough, he does not allow the Babylonians just to come in and destroy the city. The first thing that he does, very interestingly, is he withdraws his presence from the city of Jerusalem. And if you study the account in Ezekiel very closely, you will see that it was a gradual process. He did not just say, that's it, no more presence. If you read the account, it says that the presence of the Lord shifted, moved further away from the city, from the temple initially. Further, out of the temple, out further away, further away until they were at the city gates, the presence of God. It was an incremental shifting of the presence of God until the presence of God was completely removed. This is what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. The, when we are living in the presence of God, we experience the fullness of his blessing. The glory of God, the presence of God... When we live in the glory of God, the glory of God is his goodness. The glory of God is everything about God that makes him God. The glory of God is what causes us to experience and inherit all of his promises and blessings. So when you as a Christian, when Amy as a Christian, and I'm going through an emotional meltdown, 
when I'm going through a relational breakdown, when I'm going and experiencing a financial crisis, understand and recognize that long before this stuff began to happen, when my health began to, to deteriorate, long before all of this happened in my life, there was a often, not always, but a presence crisis. A presence crisis. Hey, God, why is this happening in my life? Why is this going on? Why is it that it seems that you're not with me, that I'm not being blessed? Well, I recognize there are people that clearly are living in flagrant rebellion towards God, like Israel was. And there's a truth that in our outright rebellion and our sin, of course we're not going to be blessed. You know, it says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, that your own backsliding will correct you. Like, guys, yeah, why is this happening in my life? God says, your own wickedness will teach you. Your own backsliding will correct you. Know that it's a bitter thing to forsake the Lord your God. Come back to me. Come back to me. It's not good, is it? Mm, No, it's not good, God. It's not good living without you. No, it's not good. Deuteronomy 31:17. God speak prophesying through Moses that that Israel would rebel against him in the latter days and he says guess what will happen they'll not listen to my prophets they'll not take can, they'll not be taught they'll not be corrected he said I'll forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they'll be devoured many evils and troubles will befall them so that they will say in that day have not these evils come upon us because our god is not among us Wow. Some people, that's reality. Why is it that these evils have come upon you? This is something that no one can answer except you and me. What's happening in the secret place? What's happening behind closed doors? How are we living? What are we doing? If we're living in flagrant sin, yes, God's merciful, but eventually... Things just won't go well. Things will begin to regress. And then we'll say, where's God? Where's his presence? Why is this all happening in my life? Before there was a crisis that manifested in the natural, there was a crisis that happened in the spiritual. But God is such a good God. He doesn't want us to get to that place. He doesn't want it to come to the point where we just disregard him, disregard him, and we won't listen to him, and we won't harden our hearts to him, and then everything just starts to go off the rails in our lives. He doesn't want that to happen. He's such a merciful God. So what does he do? Rather than just wipe Jerusalem out, he withdraws his presence. Hey, guys, have you noticed my presence isn't with you? Have you noticed you don't seem, I don't seem as close to you as... Maybe it once was. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe you need to make some adjustments in your life. Perhaps you need to begin to seek me with all your heart. Now, there are those who are seeking God, who are loving God. You're being obedient. You're not living in sin. You haven't hardened your heart to God. And let me tell you that this message is also for you. Because God wants to take us from glory to glory. God wants to take us to a deeper place with him. 
And you know, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, I've already alluded to the scripture. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want you to see this in the Passion Translation. It actually says this, move your heart closer and closer to God and he will come even closer to you. Move your heart closer and closer to God and he will come even closer to you. In the Greek, and particularly in the Aramaic language, it actually says this, move your, move closer to God, move your heart closer and closer to God, and it says this, are you ready? And he will be touching you. That's what it says in the Aramaic. Draw closer, draw closer, draw closer, and he will be touching you. Remember when it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand? It's the same Greek word. And it means at hand means to join together. When it says the kingdom is at hand, what it means is you can reach out, grab a hold of it. And he's saying, as you draw closer and closer and you move your heart closer and closer to me, you will experience me touching you. Wow. Isn't that good? Oh, that's so good. Come on. So God's saying, it's not my will that you live this way. You see, many of us, we have encounters with God, right? We read something in the Word and God speaks to us and we just go, oh, that's so good. That's so awesome. God spoke to me. Love it. We come to presence encounter. We get touched. We get blessed. We get stirred up. But then what happens is we leave it there. We don't go any further. Our hearts have maybe on that occasion moved closer to God, but the Bible says our hearts have to keep moving closer and closer and closer. You see, every encounter that we have with God is meant to bring us to that place where we move closer and closer to Him. You see, revelation is actually something that we experience or even manifestation or demonstration so that God is saying, I want you to explore this. I want you to go deeper with this. So what happens? Hunger or faith explores what revelation discloses. Hunger or faith seeks after, pursues, explores what revelation discloses. Think about it this way. Jesus said, signs and wonders are an important part of the preaching of the gospel, correct? But what, is, what are signs and wonders? Well, what is a wonder? Well, it's something supernatural that you experience. It causes you to stand in awe. It arrests your attention. It, it, it gets a hold of you and shows you how awesome, how powerful, how good God is. And you go, whoa, that was awesome, right? Like Natalie's like, wow, that was awesome, and I was healed. Like that was so good, right? But guess what? That's only a wonder. It's a sign and a wonder. You can't separate them. They're really one and the same thing. They're signs that make you wonder. But what is a sign, right? We have a, we have a you see there's a sign over the door there. It's an exit sign, right? Is that sign the, is drawing attention to itself? 
No. Is it saying, hey, if you want to get out of this building, you have to climb up on a ladder and crawl through me? I don't think there's anybody in the building who could crawl through that. No, what is it saying? It's pointing to another object or destination. A sign is pointing you to something else. So signs and wonders are to point us to Jesus, to point us to God. Now, I did this so that you're going to seek me. I did this so that you'll go deeper with me. Well, yeah, God, I can't wait till the next presence encounter. And God's like, why are you going to wait for the next presence encounter? I have presences with you at all times. It never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now, begin to seek me. Go deeper. I'm here. Well, well that you might know that the Son of Man has power or authority on the earth to forgive sins. I say, arise, take up your bed and walk. That's a sign and a wonder that points to Jesus. Points to Jesus. So, wow, God did this. He's going to plan for your life. He wants you to know him. He wants you to go deep with him. Are you ready? Will you pursue him? Or will you just go, that was awesome. Yeah, maybe that will happen sometime again in my life. And we live off of our experiences. We camp at these revelations that we have rather than to see the experiences and the revelation are meant to provoke us and to explore the deeper things of God. Come on. Can we stand together?